Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So if you're not having fun with this, I'm not really quite so sure what to tell you. Uh, Georgia fans this week have not been happy with ESPN analyst Kirk Herbstreit, the man who sits atop the sport. No voice more prominent, no man whose uh, opinions of, and, and commentary and analysis have allowed him to wrap himself in luxury more so than Kirk Herbstreit. Uh, but this week, his uh, affluent slumber was was uh you know perhaps interrupted briefly because Georgia fans were not happy with something that Herb Street was alleged to have done and now Kirk Herb Street is not happy with Georgia fans. So we are going to kind of lay out the latest in all of this and uh kind of talk about what we think some of this means. But we're in that kind of period of year where not everybody is sort of as fully aware of all the news as others are. So let's go back in time here for a moment. Dominic Riola is the father of Dylan Riola. Dominic, former Nebraska Cornhusker, former Detroit Lion, a uh, very successful football player in his own right. And obviously he's the father of Dylan. And Dominic was doing an interview with rivals the other day, casually mentioning off the cuff a conversation that he had with Kirk Herbstreit that has gotten a lot of attention, and we would say rightly so from a lot of folks, including in particular Georgia fans. So uh, before we give you the new stuff for today, let's remind you of kind of what started all of this. Dominic Riola, father of Dylan, former Georgia quarterback commit with rivals. To bring up one guy's name. His name's Kirk Herbstreit. When he saw he saw the smoke uh, about Dylan entertaining Nebraska, he was like, "Called me." He said, "Dude, is this true?" He got to do it. You know, he got to do it. He he his affinity for Nebraska uh, for a guy like that to tell me and to you know get behind me. Look, I knew I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say you need to go change that place or be a part of the change at that place. Um, so when Kirk told me that. You know, I was like, man. So that's Dylan Riola. I should say Dominic Riola, the father of Dylan Riola, talking about Kirk Herbstreit, convincing him that, hey, Nebraska's the right place for you. you got to do it. you got to do it. So says Dominic Riola there on all of that. Now, is this a father perhaps exaggerating or something like that? There's always the chance that's true. We have conversations. Sometimes we embellish a little bit to make the story sound a little bit better. And as we've said many times, we don't take that statement from Dominic Riola to mean that it was Kirk Herbstreit who convinced Dylan Riola to go to Nebraska. We think uh, Benjamin Franklin gets a lot more of the credit for that than Kirk Herbstreit probably does. But either way, it's still not good that Herbstreit did what he did. And I just think that's sort of true at a face value level. Easy for anyone to understand that from the perspective of a Georgia fan, for the guy who's supposed to be the voice of the sport, this is the color and on the national championship games, the college football playoff games. This is the face of the sport in many ways. The fact that he thinks it's apparently that good of a thing that Riola might leave Georgia, go to Nebraska, well, that makes Kirk Herbstreit an unfriendly face in the eyes of many Georgia fans. And as I said to you yesterday, to me it's a part of a bigger narrative right now that a lot of people, Herbstreit himself, who's talked about this kind of thing, thinks that programs like Georgia have just hoarded too much success. There have been too many blowouts in the college ball playoff. Georgia's obviously responsible for a lot of those. And that 
things would be good if Georgia just wouldn't hoard all the five-star players and all the championships and all the winning that Georgia's just had a little bit too much and the sport is better when it's a little bit more balanced. That's what I think Herb Street genuinely believes, but it's not Georgia's job to make Herb Street happy, nor is it Georgia's job to make college football appear fair. Georgia's job is to have as much success as it can possibly get. Herb Street doesn't seem to like that, and that to us is what the issue is here. But just based on the basic statement that Dominic Riola makes there, there's a small sort of couple of words that Riola uses that are really, really important. Riola says, Kirk Herbstreit called me. Now, that's a big deal here for what we're about to get to. Riola says, hey, you want to give me an idea of this? Kirk Herbstreit called me and says, you've got to do this. And the fact that according to Dominic Riola, if that statement is true, Kirk Herbstreit's the one that initiated this conversation, that is a very different kind of thing than Kirk Herbstreit's own explanation for this. Because Herbstreit yesterday uh, goes on the Paul Feinbaum show. And for Georgia fans who have dared to notice uh, the things that Herb Street have done has done the 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 behavior of Kirk Herb Street and the cheerleading for Kirk Herb Street, a player flipping away from Georgia to go to Nebraska. For the Georgia fans who dared to notice that, well, I regret to inform you that you have upset Kirk Herb Street. He's not happy with any of us here right now. The unwashed rubes who don't know any better and dared criticize him, the all-knowing, all-seeing voice and uh, you know, you know, top analyst of college football. Who are we to dare criticize him? Paul Feinbaum uh, hosted Kirk Herbstreit on the show yesterday. Herbstreit, good enough, good enough to tell us there how disappointed he is in all of us. This, his response to the to the controversy around the Dominic Riola thing. Take a look. My question to you or anybody is if, if somebody, and I know Dom, we're not great friends, but I know him pretty well. When somebody calls and says, what do you think of Matt Rule? And you like Matt Rule. Are you supposed to say... Matt Rule's a bad guy, Matt Rule's an idiot, Matt Rule's a bad coach, or do you say, I like Matt Rule, I think Matt Rule's a good coach. And then the other part of it that he said was that I think the family legacy, I think he mentioned he had a brother that was an assistant coach at Nebraska, and of course Dom was a great player there himself, All-American. And I think it sounded like the family, out of respect for their love for Nebraska, that they were really torn is what it he made it sound like and i just thought i could you know being a guy that went to ohio state and a lot of it had to do with my dad i just said wow that you know the fact that your, your son can go to any school any powerhouse that's competing for national titles and because of his respect for his own dad he's he's thinking about maybe going to nebraska a place that hasn't competed for national titles in over 20 years that that, that says a lot about who the kid is as far as what he wants to do it's not just about trying to go to the nfl you know he's thinking a little bit more about it because of maybe the way he grew up in that house and, and the way they they love nebraska so i just said wow that that's a powerful thing if, if he ended up doing that but i i of course did not sell nebraska and t- try to tell anybody not to go to Georgia. That's the most ridiculous thing that I, a- anybody would do. But I did compliment Matt Rule. If I'm guilty of anything, I said that Matt Rule is a good coach and he's a good man. There are a couple of things about what Kirk Herbstreet says right there. Thing number one would be this, is that, as I mentioned a moment ago in the Dominic Riola uh, clip that we just heard, Riola says that Kirk Herbstreet called him. And to me, that's a far different thing than what Kirk Herbstreit says, 
because Herb Street, and you can go back and listen to the clip yourself, he says, hey, what am I supposed to do if a guy calls me? See, the big difference between what Dominic Riola is saying and what Kirk Herbstreit's saying is who called whom. Uh, Dominic says Kirk Herbstreit called me to say, you got to do this. Basically, that Herbstreit uh, initiated the conversation. Herbstreit's telling of it is, well, the guy called me, what am I supposed to say? And then Herbstreit goes on to describe what he did say, and then at the end says, at no point in time did I tell him not to go to Georgia or that he should go to Nebraska. But the thing that he just described sort of was an example of telling him that Nebraska would be a better decision than Georgia because of all the reasons that 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 he mentioned there. And once again, I don't believe that's the way that Dylan Riola uh, or the reason why Dylan Riola chose to go to Nebraska in, instead of Georgia. That's more about Benjamin Franklin than Kirk Herbstreit. But nonetheless, it doesn't make what Kirk Herbstreit did a good and acceptable thing. And I would say that Georgia fans are well within their rights to be unhappy about that, no matter what anybody tells you. You have a right to think and feel the way that you want to about this. And if you want to be upset with Kirk Herbstreit and believe what your ears are, are, are telling you, believe what your eyes are showing you, you have every right to do that, no matter what anybody else tells you about this. That what Kirk, Kirk even even Kirk Herbstreit's own telling of this, even his own sort of attempt to sort of whitewash this and sort of clean the veneer on this still leads you to believe that Herb Street is, as I told you was yesterday, someone standing here and cheering because finally Georgia didn't get a five-star recruit. And maybe this produces a situation where there won't be quite so many blowouts in the college football playoff anymore. And maybe Georgia won't hoard so, you know, so much of the overall you know success uh, uh, in college football. Maybe Georgia's going to make things a little bit more fair here. That's the motivation, we believe, behind all of this from Herb Street and his own telling of this even seems to suggest that is probably true. Now, Herb Street also went on social media, which is always, by the way, the worst version of Kirk Herb Street. Uh, but anyway, he went on social media as a follow up on this, uh, essentially writing a letter to Paul Feinbaum, which I think is sort of funny. He says, Paul, thanks for your time today and our talk. Was very surprised people took this the wrong way. And again, appreciate you giving me a chance to clear the air. He says, talk soon. Salutations, I guess, from Kirk Herbstreet on, on Twitter as if this is sort of a personal correspondence with Paul Feinbaum. So once again... Georgia fans, here you are trying to live your life and uh, you know just you know, do whatever, and you have to now live with the the just the the sadness of knowing that you've disappointed Kirk Herbstreit. Those of you who dared notice Herbstreit's behavior with Dominic Riola, the fact that you dared notice that, the fact that you expressed an opinion about that, has called has caused Kirk Herbstreit to sort of climb down from his ivory tower, go onto the Paul Feinbaum show, and address you to let you know just how disappointed he is in you. You have disappointed Kirk Herbstreit, and you. You've also disappointed ESPN PR as well. They're also out to get you right now there as well. I saw this from Bill Hoffmeyer, uh, one of the PR people at ESPN. For those who jump to conclusions and have been slinging arrows in the direction of Kirk Herbstreet, Bill Hoffmeyer says uh, about Dylan Riola, take the time to hear from Kirk directly and you'll understand what actually happened. So there you go, folks. Uh, you done gone and done it now. You done made Bill Hoffmeyer mad. A stinging letter of stern rebuke, strongly worded, on its way in your direction for all of that. And I would say back to Bill Hoffmeyer or Kirby Herb, uh, Kirk Herbstreet or anybody else here, we don't need your interpretation of what happened. We're able to hear it for ourselves. Even Herbstreet's own telling of this, we think, stops short of being something that's acceptable. And, and by the way, it is perfectly normal 
and perfectly rational to sort of see the world through the lens of, like, say, friends and enemies. This is college football. It's not all that serious. But in terms of who helps me further my goals and ambitions and who sort of stands as an obstacle to all of that, well, right now, Curb Street is in the enemy category, not the friend category, on the basis of this. And for a lot of Georgia fans, this is just a furthering of the overall narrative that sort of exists around college game day more broadly, as we said before. A lot of Georgia fans not happy that David Pollock's no longer on the show. A lot of Georgia fans weren't happy in December when Pat McAfee, uh, who has had his own issues on ESPN, by the way, but Pat McAfee there on ESPN's game day from the Georgia World Congress Center that day mocked Georgia fans. Remember, he did the, you know, the calling the dogs thing, and then he said whatever he said, essentially admitting later on that he did that, mocking Georgia fans on live TV because he was not happy with the way that he was received in Athens because Georgia fans sort of view him as a subpar replacement for David Pollock. And uh, McAfee, in his own words, said that he uh, took that personally. And then you've got Kirk Herbstreet openly cheerleading, uh, according to some, actively trying to convince Dylan Riola to flip away from Georgia to go to Nebraska. And by the way, you hired Nick Saban, the arch nemesis, right now Georgia fans we would say are well within their rights to view ESPN's college game day as a negative entity standing against the best interests of UGA and we would also tell them they have a right to feel and think however they want to no, no, no matter what PR types like Bill Hoffmeyer you know might think about it that right now uh, ESPN uh, is a little bit of an anti-Georgia force in the eyes of many dog fans and if it's not ESPN ought to work a little harder to prove that's the case because by the way there's new stuff that's out there today as we said before, we talked a, a moment ago, and by the way, if you're watching on video, you see the uh, photo. I know Connor Riley's going to share this a little bit too of Kirk Herbstreet talking to, you know, Dylan Riola, and you know, Herbstreet wants to sort of have this, you know, presence as the, you know, the stately figure, the, 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 you know, the, the, the diplomat who's able to be with anybody at any point in time. But you know, my hope is is that he would get a little chillier reception on the Georgia sideline for this upcoming year if he tries to talk to future recruits, given the account we have of how he talked to a current Georgia recruit, uh, you kind of wonder standing there on the sideline how much of that stuff he might be saying. And if you do wonder that, as we said before, you are well within your rights to wonder some of that kind of stuff. And you are also well within your rights to sort of think poorly about ESPN's game day if you want to as well. We mentioned Nick Saban being hired, the uh, sort of arch nemesis of Georgia, but also a good get on TV. We don't deny that. But Kristen Saban, Nick Saban's daughter, uh, had a very very interesting social media post this week. Now, I'm not going to go too hard in the paint on Kristen Saban because I don't think she's a public figure necessarily, but it is a little bit of an idea of, I think, the vibe that's out there. Do we have the Kristen Saban thing we can show here? Uh, kind of sharing the Denzel Washington gif of the boom thing or whatever else. And her message is, how's it feel, Davey? That's a direct, uh, I think, uh, message in the direction of David Pollock. Most people took that as. Uh, David Pollock kind of drew the ire of Alabama fans because of what he said about Nick Saban while Saban was sitting next to him uh, at the 2022 National Championship game. And now Kristen Saban, Nick Saban's daughter, seems to be suggesting that uh, Nick Saban now being on ESPN's college game day that's somehow some sort of act of revenge of, ha, ah, you said George was taking over college football, then you got fired, now Nick Saban's got that job. That's what Kristen Saban seems to be saying. Once again, I'm not going to say much to her one way or another. I don't really think she's a public figure, but boy, I do have plenty I could say if, if I wanted to. The point is this. The ball is in ESPN's court here. 
If you want to prove that you're not anti-UGA, by all means, get to work in doing so. And it's going to take more than just, you know, PR types like Bill Hoffmeyer to, uh, you know, sternly rebuke Georgia fans to uh, get you to feel that way. And whatever Kirk Herbstreit thought he was accomplishing on the Paul Feinbaum show yesterday, I don't think quite gets that done either. We don't think Dylan went to Nebraska because of uh, of, of Kirk Herbstreit, nor do we really care even anymore that Riola made the decision that he did. But it's fairly obvious that ESPN and types like ESPN have viewed there to be a little too much George as of late. Too many national championships, too many five-star recruits, and more parity is better for the sport overall. And now people like Kirk Herbstreit seem to be standing on the sidelines and cheering as some of that happens. Georgia fans are going to notice, and Georgia fans are not going to like it. And we would say they are well within their rights to feel that way. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m. It's been fun to be live the last couple of weeks here in our brand new studio. We've enjoyed all of that. Uh, of course, 10 a.m. there, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. Uh, across all video platforms after that, radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, the ref, podcast however you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. How about the work that Kaylee Manziel has been doing as of late, getting that Dog Nation podcast up on the side again uh, on such a good, timely manner. Always a uh, really good thing there on all of that. You certainly uh, love to see it, and you certainly appreciate our friends at Kroger for making today's show possible for you there as well. And how about the great things coming up at Kroger here this month? We talked to you a lot about Kroger Chef Jr. Uh, another great example of that here this month. How about pineapple salsa? That's the food item that you and your kids can make together there as a part of Kroger Chef Jr. here this month. Uh, another opportunity for you to do that coming up on February 17th. By now you know, Kroger Chef Jr., a guided kids cooking experience, a 30-minute class where your kids get to participate in the food preparation process. It's just $7 per child. In addition to that, they also get the apron, the patch, the chef's hat, and the chopper which I think is a really cool thing. And they get the recipe card and holder as well. Just $7 per child. Go to the website, KrogerChefJr.com for more on that. It's the word junior spelled out, J-U-N-I-O-R, KrogerChefJr.com today. All right, so we got Jeff Sintel coming up, a lot of UGA recruiting stuff to get to with him. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And around the doghouse today is poured by our friends at the Finish Long Drink, and we always love that. Now, I want to kind of move the story forward here just for a minute. Because yesterday, Terrence Edwards on the show said something that I thought was really interesting. And there's a part of this that I completely agree with and I think is 100% true. There's another part of this that I think is actually maybe slightly different in reality than the way that Terrence describes it. But all of it's really interesting. Here's what Terrence said. I'm going to let you hear the clip for yourself. The notion that whatever went down with Herb Street and Riola, however real that it is, and whatever the perception is right now of ESPN's treatment of UGA, that it is an opportunity for Kirby Smart to use it if he wants to. And that's the part that I think is interesting. So let me let you hear Terrence Edwards making that point yesterday as a part of Around the Doghouse here poured by the Finnish Long Drink. It is out there that hate for Georgia for whatever reason. And maybe our perception is our reality. And maybe we may be overblowing this. But I, I don't understand it. I, I think Kirby is going to use this. And I continue to hope that the eight, you know, fuse Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs program. Uh, because he always, 
always is using things as far as recruiting and ways to get his players to believe that we're the underdogs, even when we're the better team. So that's Terrence Edwards. We also have some breaking news coming in here right now. We'll talk to Jeff Sintel more about this in a moment. Looks like it's being reported widely now that Ben Urasek, that's the tight end from Stanford, who's actually probably better athlete, better pass-catching target that maybe many of us have kind of realized. Uh, pretty interesting pickup from the transfer portal from Stanford. Looks like he's on his way to UGA, obviously, to say, uh, the next Brock Bowers, you know, a very difficult thing to do. But he does kind of come to UGA by way of California, so you'll at least be thinking about uh, some of those kinds of things. And I'd say that knowing full well that that's a very unfair thing to sort of tab onto Eurosec here. But this was one of those sort of transfer names that we kind of talked about, you know, during that time. And now it seems like that is happening. Uh, that's the information that I'm getting here from our uh, our production team. And we'll talk to Jeff Sintel more about that in a moment. A name that had been mentioned now seemingly coming to fruition, Ben Urasek, the tight end from Stanford. Looks like he's coming to UGA. More on that here in a moment. Just breaking uh, as we're doing the show live here today. But Terrence says, hey, there's hatred out there. Whether it's true or not, it seems like it is. And whether it is true or not, Georgia has a chance to sort of use that as motivation. And Terrence goes on to say, you know, Georgia seems to be at its best when it's sort of casting itself as the underdog and the nobody believes in this type of thing. And I told you before, there's an aspect of this that I think is absolutely self-evidently true. And another aspect of this, which I think, you know, could, you know, perhaps be a, a little bit different than maybe Terrence describes it. The part that I completely agree with and think is 100% right is that, Anything like this can be used as motivation, but I don't know that this works necessarily as Terrence says, the nobody believes in this type vibe. Georgia used that very well in 2022. That's always seemingly, you know, very efficient fuel, very fertile soil to kind of make a team better. We've seen teams use that across sports for quite some time. This deal sort of feels a little bit different to me. If it is true that Georgia, in the eyes of analysts, is hoarding too many five-star recruits, and it's good when they go somewhere else. And if Georgia's done too much winning, and they're kind of you know greedy and stealing too many of college football's resources and enjoying the spoils of victory a little bit too much, and it's better when things are more balanced, when you give a team like Washington a chance, even though they probably don't deserve it, or you give a team like Texas a chance, even though coming out of the watered-down Big 12, they might not have deserved it, that when you sort of spread the well, things are a little bit better, and evil Georgia uh, finally doesn't get a chance to sort of hoard too many of college football's you know trophies and, and success and the spoils of victory, that if it's good when when bad things happen to UGA, perhaps Georgia ought to do a little bit more to sort of embrace that black hat villain style role. And you can make case that maybe Georgia hasn't done enough of that. To me, Georgia seems like a, a pretty good candidate to be the sort of new bad guy in college sports with cheating Jim Harbaugh no longer a part of the sport, with uh, Alabama's you know Nick Saban kind of moving on uh, you know to TV. Uh, it seems like you know Georgia could have an opportunity in this new landscape of the sport to sort of embrace a little bit more of a, of a villain-style role, and you can make a case that maybe Georgia hasn't done quite enough of that in the past. I want to show you this. This is not like an exhaustive list, and it's not necessarily definitive opinion in college football. But I did think it was an interesting snapshot. Uh, a, a, a Twitter feed that I've referenced before, uh, it's called College Football Report, 
put out a few days ago the most hated things in college football from the 2023-2024 time frame here. And you see Caleb Williams, number one, uh, the College Football Playoff Committee, number two, you get Connor Stallions, number three, Ryan Day, then J.J. McCarthy, then Michigan, then Lincoln Riley, uh, Jim Harbaugh, Texas, Ohio State, you got Colorado, you got Florida State, you got Alabama, you got Bo Nix, you got Billy Napier. Uh, you, get, you get all these things here, but if you look one through 25, the one thing you don't see anywhere, you don't see Georgia. Now, as I said before, this is not like science, and there's no criteria seemingly being used for how this Twitter feed ranked this stuff, but it is a snapshot here of, according to at least some, Georgia wasn't even one of the 25 most hated things in college football this past year. I'd say this might be a pretty good measuring stick for how well Georgia's doing in the future. I think that Georgia might do well to get the rest of college football to hate them and hate it as much as ESPN seems to right now. And if if it really is the belief that it's bad for college football when Georgia has all the success, then Georgia ought to go out there and just make the sport worse by having even more success in the future than it's had uh, in the present. And leave no doubt that in this story of trying to make college football a national sport where everybody gets a turn and everybody sort of feels like it's fair, Georgia's doing its part, working as hard as it can to make things seem to be as unfair as it possibly can. And drawing lots of hatred along the way. That actually might be a pretty good thing for UGA. We'll see if that's indeed the way things go for the dogs. We'll also make that around the doghouse here today, poured by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. And by the way, if you're heading towards a great weekend, a great way to enjoy that weekend is the Finnish Long Drink. Whatever you might be doing. How about the big game party coming up on Sunday? If you show up to your Super Bowl party that you've been invited to, or if you're the host of your Super Bowl party, if you're bringing along the Finnish Long Drink, I can promise you everybody's going to have a good time because of that, whether it be in the Peach State right now for a limited time, the peach-flavored version, or you want Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar. Honestly, I probably need as much of that as I can get these days. Long Drink Strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. You want the cranberry flavor. You want the Long Drink Traditional. As a traditionalist, I'm a little bit of a fan of the traditional. I like the blue can. I like the way the condensation sort of drips down the blue can, but I also like the way it tastes. I like the grapefruit flavor kind of with the gin kick. It just kind of makes me enjoy... uh, just this time of year. I, I just love that. We've had some nice weather lately. I like to drink the finished long drink outside. It's always a fun thing for me to do. And you get a chance to do that here too. So go to thelongdrink.com. You can find out the story about how it kind of came to America from Finland after being a part of the summer games in Helsinki in like the 1950s or something like that. And then it's in Georgia now. It's pretty much anywhere you want to go. You can find it. So go to thelongdrink.com. You can find that today. That is thelongdrink.com. And you can find that today. All right, really good stuff. We're glad to have you here. Before we're done, a little bit of a thought or two on how the Super Bowl might play out on Sunday. We'll give you that. But for now, Georgia appears to have added another player roster-wise. How are they doing this? Honestly, I'm not very good at you know sort of tabulating the math on that. So we'll see if our next guest can help us, but also give us some information on UGA recruiting the process there as well. Let's talk to Jeff Sintel here today on a Friday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Busy Friday. That means Jeff Sintel for us. UG recruiting stuff. We'll get to that. But uh, Jeff, it appears as I'm doing the show live here, Georgia, if I'm getting the reports here correctly, has added a player, a player that had been talked about at one point in time, the Stanford tight end, Ben Yurichik, on his way to UGA. Um, I sort of half joke before you came here, you know, coming by, by way of Stanford, sort of that Bay Area of California, going to be easy to sort of draw those Brock Bowers comparisons, which is totally unfair. But in a real way, 
Juracek's a little bit better of a playmaker than perhaps some people I think you've probably given him credit for. First of all, is this true? Is this real? Is he coming to Georgia? And second of all, if he is, what does he bring to the table here? Uh, Brandon, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Brandon, if I know you, you probably immediately thought, was that Terry Bussey's scholarship that Georgia was holding? And then yeah. your set comes in here. I know how you try to analyze everything, my man. Sure. Um, I would say for all, there's a portion of your audience, Brandon, I bet that would know the name Kurt Rambis. Um, another California guy, big power forward for the Lakers, uh, mid-80s, early 80s, whatever. That's kind of what I what I kind of parallel uh, Benjamin Urasek to. Um, grad transfer, so obviously uh, the rules will apply. He was in the portal well before the deadline. Uh, he visited Georgia, I believe, the second weekend of January. Um, and a lot of people are going to fixate on the wrong things with Urasek here. Like, Urasek only had 16 catches for Stanford last year, but the previous two seasons he was a workhorse, like 45 catches, 49 catches. I think the big thing to think about is 6'4", 245 or so. Brandon, he was a 2020 high school recruit, came out the same year that Carson Beck and Tate Ratledge did, for example. So you got a really physical dude there. You look at that picture. You he guys looks just like – like I didn't know where you were going with the Kurt Rambis thing. I didn't know if you meant he's just going to be a role player at Georgia or whatever else. He looks just like sort of a Kurt Rambis uh, style with the uh, the glasses there. It almost looks like he even has the, like, the tape on the middle there. So, uh, very, listen, I am certainly of a certain age. I remember Kurt Rambis. I would say you're thinking late 80s here, not just you know early to mid 80s because I don't really have a living memory of the early 80s, thankfully. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the glasses here, you get a little bit of – of a Kurt Rambis, you know, vibe going there. Almost like a throwback to like Rodrigo Blankenship, I'd say, too, with the uh, specs there. So uh, I sort of see where you're coming from with the the Rambis comparison. Uh, I, I, I was not quite following that to begin with, but now that you see the the, the face, and by the way, great job by our team of folks here on, on uh, Video Live here. But now I sort of see where that's coming from. you got the glasses there on Eurosec. Obviously a very studious young man, which means I'm sure he fit in very well in Stanford. Yeah, very studious. Well, first of all, I believe that picture's back from his high school days at Bakersfield. Anybody hears the name Bakersfield, they'll think about the great Kurt Russell, Robin Williams movie, The Best of Times. But like for for the Rambus reference is a little is a little dated visually. But what I see him is a very strong role player, glue guy, dirty work. Brandon, let's face it, it's it's Oscar Delp, and then it's a bunch of freshmen and sophomores for Georgia at tight end next year. Todd Hartley realized that he had a kind of a void there in terms of, you know, a big masher physical body that can also go catch the ball. The other thing I like about the Rambus parallel, Brandon, because um, I guess we could call him Kurt Clark Kent today for the modern viewer or whatever, but he was a baller back in the day. His high school years, Brandon, I was telling some folks about this a couple of weeks ago. I believe we said that we were talking about him on Before the Hedges when we brought this up. But this is a guy, tight end, big body, Stanford brain, checks a lot of boxes. So he's never allowed to miss a coverage read or anything like that. But he was his high, he was his high school classifications basketball player of the year now brandon think about that for a second bakersfield california you got a tight end prospect he was only like a three-star or a four-star coming out of high school but he was the his high school association's high school basketball player of the year he was a rambus guy getting a lot of rebounds a lot of putbacks playing a lot of good interior defense in the paint 
And he's going to bring a lot of that mindset along, a lot of that skills now to the SEC. But he also was named his high school association area overall athlete of the year for what he did on the basketball court and the football field. So this is a guy, and a lot of people are going to say, oh, he only had 16 catches last year. To put that in perspective, that's about what Dejon Edwards had in the Georgia offense last year, or maybe Makai Muse. But I, I think that's a false positive there with his game. Not only, I, I, I hate to tell all those people that want to get NIL with Benjamin, but he doesn't currently look like that with the glasses anymore. Okay. So there goes the Rex Specs NIL deal or something like that. But um, he had back-to-back catches of 40-plus receptions, back-to-back seasons of 40-plus catches in the Pac-12. His junior year, he was second-team All-Pac-12. So getting a little bit better player than what his stat line for 2023 screams. So you're obviously a very learned man, Jeff. You have lots of, uh, you know, you know, phenomenal information. Can I just correct you on one thing, though, from your previous answer there? You mentioned a pop cultural reference as it relates to Bakersfield, California. I would say that the correct pop cultural reference when you think about Bakersfield, California is the country music classic from Dwight Yoakam and Chet Atkins called Streets of Bakersfield and the sort of famous Bakersfield, you know, uh, you know, country music sound. When you think of Baker, when you think of that, that's kind of what you're supposed to uh, think of from a pop cultural standpoint. Oh, come on, man. You didn't see that Robin Williams movie with the van detailer that comes back. They take on Dr. Death. That was a great classic movie. Uh, Reno Hightower, man. Kurt Russell does not make a bad movie, but I will say I thank you for educating me on that tune. I had not heard that one from Dwight Yoakam, sir. Yeah, dial up some Dwight Yoakam on your Spotify or whatever you have. I think you'll like a little Dwight Yoakam. Uh, uh, let's talk about the story that's been big, you know, all week long, the Kurt Street Dylan Riola thing. Jeff... What I have said over and over again, I'm going to repeat myself again, just make sure everybody understands this. I do not believe that Dylan Riola went to Nebraska because of Kirk Herbstreet. I still don't like what Kirk Herbstreet did. I still think Georgia fans are within their right to kind of view Herbstreet through the enemy lens here right now. And I frankly found Herbstreet's attempt to sort of explain this on uh, the Feinbaum show yesterday woefully inefficient. How do you respond? Woefully inefficient. First of all, I'm going to tell you it's kind of a nothing burger for me. Uh, maybe people don't know this, but Dylan Riola was at once committed to Ohio State before Georgia. That's how we kind of got to know Herb Street a little bit, uh, kind of in those circles. Uh, I don't think that whatever Kirk Herb Street had to say, I don't think it rated in the top seven voices in his ear about what he wanted to do about Nebraska. I mean, the main thing, and we we talked about this on the Dog Nation forum earlier this week. I have a take that's. I'm going to call it originally a genuine take. I don't think it's an example of, you know, anti-Georgia bias. Uh, and, you know, you want to say, Brandon, like one of the things that comes up is, you know, he is, a, he is the face of college football for ESPN. ESPN is basically the stage for college football. And I don't think people like their uh, play-by-play national analyst studio voice Um making these sort of comments and Kirk got himself in trouble with FSU fans just last season as well. But I think that's kind of media these days, man, especially for uh, a guy like uh, Herb Street, who's supposed to have opinions. I'm, I'm definitely don't think, you know, picking a game one way or the other, he's going to call is the same thing about uh, giving advice to uh, what he thinks about a recruit there. I, I'm going to, I'm going to really think, 
big curb herb street. And I know I agree with you. It was a woeful, it was a woeful explainer on a fine bomb yesterday. I don't think it kind of checked a lot of the things and you know, you've got like a, he said, Kirk said, Donna, Dominic said type thing there. I think the main thing is I think Kirk was probably remembering because if he's anything, he's a college football purist, a historian. Um, we had a, we had a late eighties reference here, uh, Nebraska was amazing in the 90s. Nebraska was Georgia football in the 90s. They were repeat champions. They had Tommy Frazier. They had an incredible program that was rolling. And I think Kirk probably, if there was any sort of encouragement, which was probably maybe supposed to stay uh, between the two of them, it was like, go make Nebraska better again. I, I think with Riola. I don't think he was going to make a difference for Georgia for at least a year, year and a half. Whereas if he went to Lincoln, he would be a big jolt. So maybe Kirk saw that as a way to restore some of the gleam or some of the, some of the great football play to kind of bring Nebraska back. I'm of the opinion. This is my opinion here that I think college football is better when Nebraska and Oklahoma are very good. Kind of like the way I think the sec is better when Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, and Florida, those schools are all really good as well. And I, I think Kirk's seen a lot of games in the Big Ten where Nebraska's getting the break speed off of him, and he wants to see Nebraska restored. And if he had any sort of candid comments about that, I hope that that's the vein he was trying to tap into. But what you're saying right now has sort of been my point about the entire thing. I, I think what you're saying is probably true, that guys like Kirk Herbstreit, ESPN overall the the corridors of power of the sport thinks programs like georgia are winning too much and programs like nebraska aren't winning enough and so therefore it's good when nebraska gets a, a recruit it's bad when georgia gets him um it's good when georgia is excluded from the college football playoff it's bad when they win national championship games 65 to 7 just bottom line face value that is the sort of prevailing wisdom of the sport right now how do we balance things out so georgia doesn't get so many recruits and so georgia doesn't get so many national championships jeff it's not not Georgia's job to make the sport good. It's not Georgia's job to make the sport appear fair. And I do believe that guys like Herb Street are kind of aligning themselves as enemies to UGA right now because I do think they think that teams like Georgia just win too many blowout games. And so therefore that hurts the overall popularity of the sport nationally. That's what I think is going on here. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think you have a right to notice the fact that there are a lot of people, some of them are very powerful people, very prominent voices who just think you're winning too much and they're trying to figure out some way to stop that. Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of that. I think Georgia's just going to become Alabama. They're going to slide Georgia into that deck chair. And I think the national narrative is going to try to find whether they want a rotating uh, co-titan along with Georgia now and Alabama instead. I, I, I'll be honest, man. I never I never confused as a, as a guy that's been in journalism 20-plus years, as a guy that tries to even on our sites and our channels tries to maintain a lot of objectivity. Uh, I never look at a Herb Street or an ESPN studio ham or an analyst as a bastion of journalism or someone that's got to, you know, walk a fine ethical line there. There's just so much now. You see, you know, McAfee's shtick is to be that guy, to kind of be a heel or kind of make it sort of seem theatrical, soap opera, pro wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want. But, Brennan, I think the truest thing, you kind of kick the can around there a little bit, man. I think the truest thing here is if, 
folks thought that this wasn't a business and this wasn't entertainment and this wasn't programming, I'm sorry, but you know, maybe maybe what the Herb Street's really rooting for is not Nebraska, is the fact that um, the Big Ten games or the times when they go to college game day, they'll get a bigger number if Nebraska is six and one or seven and one heading into a big game. I think I think really it's all about trying to it's about households, it's about a number, it's about a Nielsen rating, it's about folks being tuned in because that's what this sport has become. And they're going to bring in even more viewers, household interest buzz with the 12 team playoff. And I think it's laughable, Brandon. Let me give you a laughable one. Georgia loses a five star in Dylan Riola and they still finish number one in the country uh, in the class. So whether whether this was intended, whether this was some masterminding, this was some sort of behind the scenes uh, de-armament talks with this mighty Georgia football program didn't work. It's a stupid good class. It's the number one in the country by far. I think when it's all said and done, you're going to look at this Georgia class, and I'm probably going to see four future first-rounders in this class at least. Um, I kind of looked at that and hammed up that uh, kind of projection there. So, uh, Riola, no Riola. I think the dogs will be just fine. And for for Nebraska, let's put this in Georgia parallels here. I think they think they got their next Jacob Eason, Eason walking through the door. And we all remember what that felt like way back in 2016. <laughs> I'll let people decide if that's a good thing or not. But um, shifting gears to a National Signing Day, I miss it, Jeff. I miss National Signing Day. And, look, I realize Georgia got the number one class. I'm happy about that. And we had fun in December when all that was coming together. But – to me, it's not as good as old school one day in February. A, the dumbest thing we do as a sport is add high school players before our transfer players have left, before our draft declarations have left. We just do stuff in this sport in the wrong daggum order where all of us are just as dumb as we can be. We can't figure out how to do player departure, player acquisitions in the right order. I'll, I'll never understand how we can't get that right. But even – Beyond that, I just missed National Signing Day. Um, I mean, not only was it quiet for Georgia, it's pretty much quiet for everybody. Texas A&M had a couple players. Uh, Alabama finished it off with Ryan Williams finally. But that was like about it. We turned Terry Bussey into the next, you know, Deion Sanders as a player uh, just because we didn't have anything else to do. Uh, I, I missed National Signing Day. Do you? Okay, come on now. It's all labeling, Brandon. National Signing Day is now in December, man. That's what it is. This is – this is the late signing day, or it's even like, here's a good point. Um, Brandon, um, after uh, the signing day in December, there were only four of the top 100 left that were undis- unsigned players. 96%, that's some easy math right there. I mean, it's just the way it is everywhere. Everybody, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Everybody got to open their Christmas presents early. It's the same joy. It's the same um pageantry it's the same fun of seeing those names pop across social media feeds that like the fax is in we're announcing it it just happens in december you're going to see more changes brandon i think there's a national momentum to try and move national signing day from december not february Mm -hmm. from december to august the first and you'll give them you'll give the prospects and players an out clause if their coordinator leaves or their head coach leaves or whatever but i think that's kind of the way it is, Brandon. These schools, these recruiters, especially with the 12-team playoff booming in December, Brandon, these programs are want to get all that hay in the barn they can and worry about winning those big games in December. I mean, what it is now, Brandon, is these these schools are like air traffic controllers. 
They want everybody to land all their players and their official visits in June. And everybody wants to make their decisions in July. And then if you're really that guy or you're really torn and you're really special, then Georgia and a bunch of other schools will try to recruit you into the season. But they only want to do that with about two or three guys in every class. And that's just the way the world gets, man. I mean, I think you're going to see more momentum. I mean, Brandon – Look how quickly things have changed where we started getting April official visits, May official visits, June official visits. And like, I think Georgia had 20 commitments, 22 commitments by the end of July this past cycle. I just think that's the new normal. It's another thing about college football folks are going to have to get used to. And I would love it where, um, like you mentioned, some of these things that happen backwards. I would love it if there's not even a February National Signing Day at all because it doesn't make sense anymore with guys going in, guys going out. And these coaches, especially Georgia, they know that the transfer portal is going to pillage their roster. They know that the the NFL is going to pillage their roster. And they want to start filling in the gaps and spackling in the gaps as soon as possible. All right. Uh, one thing before we let you go, a lot of folks in the comment section today wanted to find out information. Dylan, not Dylan, <laughs> different quarterback julian juju lewis took his visit uh or took a visit to uh georgia this past weekend we sort of joked about this uh, on the, the sort of immediate aftermath of this i think we have the photo we can show people here jeff please tell me because you and i both have talked about this before that sometimes the the countenance on, on the face of julian lewis not exactly sort of giving away a lot in the way of like happiness the the, the photo that I, I we had earlier this week of lewis kind of like posing with kirby smart in the basketball game not the biggest smile on the face not exactly blown away by the experience please tell me that's just because julian lewis has a very good poker face and uh perhaps not something else going on there in terms of uh, yes you see the, the the look there on lewis not exactly the warmest smile but as someone who has his issues with listening faces every now and then you know maybe i kind of understand where juju's coming from on all of that uh bottom line uh please tell me that look on lewis's face is not a reflection of where the relationship currently stands between UGA and the uh, newly minted 2025 five-star? Well, I'm going to say the two things that did come to my mind were uh, live mode for uh, pictures where you can kind of get a better shot in the midst of this, snapping the image. And I also was thinking about bringing up your listening face, Brandon. Yeah. So I'm glad you already teed that one up for the world to kind of laugh about and chuckle about. But, you know, I can say this. I know he smiled a lot more uh, on the Georgia uh, unofficial visit uh, than it indicates right there in that picture i think the dogs really gave him a lot to look about I, th I think i think the thing with julian and let's face it brandon everybody has maybe unfairly associated him as the poster boy for nil especially in the state of georgia and he's rightfully going to command a lot of nil dollars when you hear about things happening over the last few years with other five-star quarterbacks but i think the other thing is this julian wants to win and he looks around Georgia's roster. He looks around the building and he's like, I'm definitely going to win here if I choose to go there. And that's something that I think matters. I think the numbers are going to be talked about a lot with Julian and is what's the highest bid? How far will Georgia go? I think it's going to be a really, a really big litmus in terms of if, if Georgia wants to get competitive in the race with, to trying to flip him away from USC, how far is Georgia going to go? And to me, it's going to be a change in philosophy of the way this championship program and this championship roster has been built because it's going to take a lot of um, incentive 
uh, for Georgia to to win this recruiting race. And then you're going to start looking at this is a freshman coming into the program, not likely to start game one or maybe even game 15 or 16. He suits up into a Georgia uniform if that was his choice. And you got to wonder about that sort of um, NIL package coming to a player like that that's not likely to play for a while. Now, someone can make the argument that, hey, Juju's that dude. He can spin it. Look what he did in Georgia's 7A football as a freshman. Look what he did as a, as a sophomore. Very talented player, Brandon, no doubt about it. Um, I think if he would grow about two or three more inches, you could start talking about, you know, no doubt, top five, top ten pick. But there is still a lot of Bryce Young in his game. I think that's a compliment uh, to Juju and what he's done so far. I remember Joey King at, when he was – he had spent that – time with Trevor Lawrence in Cartersville. And I asked him really early in Juju's career is like, we talking about the same type of players, same type of guy. And he's like, yeah, we are. There's he's that special. I put him in that, in that same classroom uh, as what Trevor was showing me his freshman and sophomore year. So uh, it's a name that's going to be talked about. I know Georgia football fans, Georgia football recruiting fans love hearing about quarterbacks and intrigue and drama and five stars, especially with a great player, from inside the Peach State, but it's going to be it's going to take a lot for Georgia to win this one. That's what I would say. Is there any chance he stays at USC? I don't think so. I don't think so. I kind of always, you know, one thing I've always heard is I've always heard that you know Julian was likely to to be flipped away from USC, and it was just a matter: is it in-state Georgia? Was it Alabama or was it Texas? One of those schools like that. You think Texas, and you'll think, man, they're going to pay a lot. They're not going to be worried about NIL coffers. And they're going to be in the SEC now, and they're also going to uh, win a lot of football games in the near future. That's what I think. Do I think they're going to win as many as Georgia? No, I don't think so. But those are kind of the likely spots there for for Julian as well. I mean, he's really great, Brandon. I know you've called games with him. You've seen what he can do. Um, the way he processes football is great. I thought it was very much an indicator of his talents when he reclassified from 2026 to 2025. And he immediately became a five-star. He immediately became a top-ten prospect, skipping ahead one year. Um, and I think that, that's really special things to like about Julian. It's just going to be interesting. I, I even said on our forum, we were talking about it as well, on forum.dognation.com, that um, I think Georgia has reached the point where it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, the dogs are going to win 11, 12, 13 games per year. Um, it's just maybe that special quarterback can make – for a two or three year run would allow the dogs to win like 14, 13, 14 games every year. Industry lingo here, but I realized as you were answering, we were in what we call a two box where your face is shown on camera, my face is shown on camera. And as if you were answering, I was giving a hideous looking listening face to go back to what we were saying before. Uh, you know, my count, it's not exactly uh, lighting the world on fire either. So perhaps people ought to take it easy on Juju and his pick there. So uh, good stuff from you, Jeff. I certainly appreciate that. You got any thought on the Super Bowl before we let you go? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you give us a Super Bowl thought. You know, you don't have yeah. to. <laughs> you don't have to. Well, you know, Kirk Herbstreet called Taylor Swift there you go. and talked to Taylor Swift about Travis. I think I think. Well, let me tell you this. Whichever side Herbstreet's on, you want to be on the opposite because Herbstreet seems overly attracted to losers. But uh, go ahead, Jeff, back to you. I would say um seems to me San Francisco has more players, but then, you know, Pat Mahomes is he's the equalizer, man. I mean, the way he's played the first four or five years, I think it's a way too fast, way too soon society we live in where people are already saying if Mahomes wins another one, that they're already advancing him past Brady, where 
uh, four out of five for Mahomes is better than seven out of 10 for Brady and all those conference championships. I'd hold our horses on that one a little bit. Maybe that's a line in a Dwight Yoakam song I haven't heard yet as well, Brandon. But um, I think San, I think San Francisco, Debo Samuel, uh, McCaffrey, uh, George Kittle, you've got a lot of pieces. You've got those two great pass rushers. you got the linebacker. I just look at it as assets and personnel. Shanahan needs to get the, off the schneid a little bit with some bad performances in big games. I think there's a lot of pressure on Shanahan, but – then you got Kansas City, and it seems like Mahomes can walk on water, and they're doing it this year with a lot of great defense. I'd take the, I'd take the Niners in this one just because I, I think of all those reasons I just mentioned. Jeff, great stuff. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game, the big game, as they call it. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you here very soon on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Take it easy, Brandon. And maybe he was sad because he knew his truck might get stolen or something like that, man. That's another thing to think about there. With By the way, did we ever get an update on that? Did he get his truck back? Did we ever hear about that? For those of you who don't know, and this is – a weird thing to do, but he's the one that put it out in public. Uh, uh, Julian Lewis allegedly had his truck stolen from Hartsfield Jackson International Airport this week, which does not, you know, speak well of Atlanta necessarily. But um, did we ever get any kind of update on that? Did Juju get his truck back? Uh, have yet to learn that, Brandon. Maybe, maybe that's the man upstairs telling him he doesn't need to fly anywhere to go off to college, man. Maybe they tell. Maybe, maybe that's the case. The yeah, no, no more air flights for you. Uh, just drive down the road to Athens. Everything will be all good, Jeff. I like the way you think. Appreciate you being here. Take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, good stuff from Jeff Sintel. Uh, I got a thought or two on the Super Bowl here coming up in just a moment. We'll get to that. First of all, though, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, listen, I love it when we get a chance to just kick back, relax, talk to Jeff Sintel like that. And that's what the Dog Nation crew is all about. All those recruiting questions, the sort of inside story, the stuff that's not fit for air sometimes. Jeff Sintel, you get a couple of those uh you know, Bahama Mamas, Miami Vices, whatever those little, you know, uh, fruity cocktails they have on uh, Allure of the Seas. You get a few of those in Jeff. He gets a little loose-lipped. Loose lips sink ships. Well, loose lips also make ships a lot more interesting when you're on board Allure, Allure of the Seas and Jeff starts giving you a bunch of uh, recruiting information. Uh, that's what you get with the Dog Nation Cruise. That's reason enough right there to be on board the ship. We uh, Sure enough, we want to see you there and be a part of it. Jessica Slater's a great travel agent. Here's the thing. Whether it's the Dog Nation cruise or some other Royal Caribbean cruise vacation that you hope to take, uh, Royal Caribbean believes that a great Royal Caribbean cruise made even better with a terrific travel agent. The travel agent doesn't cost you anything. Uh, Royal Caribbean pays them to serve you because that's what they understand is that the travel agents and listen, I've, I have personally been on like three different cruises with Jessica, so she's been on a thousand more than that. She knows Royal Caribbean uh, better than anyone. Actually, maybe four. Either way, um, Jessica knows Royal Caribbean better than anybody. So you can give her a call, 770-718-9147, 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslaterdreamvacations.com. You can uh, hit, hit up royaldogs.com. That's a website she's put together to uh, help you make the most out of your Dog Nation cruise experience. Now, how about this scene here? If you're watching on video, on board Icon of the Seas, looking out the back, this wonderful sort of adults-only enclave. you got the Aquadome there, which is where the, the high-dive you know, shows take place here right now. Aquadome is an amazing, amazing you know, kind of invention and creation, kind of a new level of entertainment and new level of entertainment venue on board Icon of the Seas. That's what Royal Caribbean's all about, and so that's why we want you on board the Dog Nation cruise on Allure of the Seas, which is a great cruise in its own right, great cruise ship in its own right. All right. Let's go cruise around the SEC. Brief thoughts here on the Super Bowl. 
I kind of agree with what I think Jeff is getting to there a moment ago. I'm not ready to make Patrick Mahomes Tom Brady, and I'm not quite ready to make Kyle Shanahan into Marv Levy, one of these coaches who gets his crack multiple times and doesn't win. I know a lot of Falcons fans have bad taste in their mouths about Kyle Shanahan because of the play calling near the end of the Super Bowl that Atlanta famously and embarrassingly choked away. Totally get it, but Kyle Shanahan is a good coach. Shanahan is not Marv Levy. This feels like the kind of Super Bowl that Kyle Shanahan's supposed to win. Patrick Mahomes obviously a great quarterback, but a little too much too soon in for him in this career to kind of already be sort of put into that Brady or maybe even Joe Montana category. Just not quite ready to go there yet. Feels like a sort of heat check style game for the Chiefs and about time for San Francisco to sort of break in and win. After all, you want to go back a month or so ago, a little bit more than a month ago, NFL experts, of which I am not, but NFL experts would tell you around the time San Francisco may not have quite been a touchdown favorite over the Chiefs, but they would have been a significant favorite over the Chiefs. A lot of the perception of Kansas City has been altered by the fact they've been winning playoff games. Y'all, go back and look at the AFC title game. That's a game going into it. We told you here on the air that we liked Kansas City in that spot because we thought in any kind of 50-50 call situation, it was obviously going the way the Chiefs. We're not like, you know, aggressive conspiracy theorists related to the fact that the league wanted Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. But there is no doubt the league wanted Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. They got that. But now there's no benefit to the Chiefs winning. The Chiefs are already in the game. The ratings are going to be what they are, or the attention around the game is going to be what it is. You don't need the Chiefs to win to make that bigger. It's already as big as it's going to be. The sort of 50-50 pass interference or non-pass interference style calls that seem to all go the Chiefs' way in the game against the Ravens, and some of you know what I'm talking about, you don't quite need that anymore. And so, therefore, that's a little bit of a half tick against Kansas City in a game like this. Another thing in favor of San Francisco. If you really want to dive deep here on this for a moment, if you like the prop plays, which I'm not always a huge fan of, I would correlate my props to the under. Um, even some of these where you have to sort of lay minus money on something not happening, multiple touchdowns being thrown by Patrick Mahomes, things like that. I'd probably correlate my uh, props to the under. And as far as the actual pick itself goes, I told you I like San Francisco. I think two and a half is a little bit of a weird spread for this game. If you really want to get sort of nitty gritty on this, I probably like Niners money line just to win the game straight up. And I would probably also look a little bit at a Niners alternate line where maybe you have a chance to sort of doubly cash in if they win by more than a touchdown. I, I can't give you that solely. A little bit of a hedge on the idea of a Niners win, which I think will happen, and perhaps a little bit of a bet on uh, an alternate line on you know more than a touchdown, something like that. I think that might could be a fun way to sort of approach this. I do think it's a Niners win, though, overall. Uh, speaking of winners, it looks like we already have a winner to the Texas quarterback competition, to the extent there even was one. I think most people realize that when Quinn Ewers announced he was coming back for the 2024 season, that means he would be the starting quarterback. Steve Sarkeesian all but confirmed that here this week, but I don't think that's necessarily the end of the story. Now, it is a little bit interesting that Arch Manning is perhaps going to be content to wait another year in the wings here before he gets his own turn, but also, you know, for all the attention Arch got, and gosh knows we were guilty of that when it was, you know, perhaps true that he might come to Georgia— he still kind of played a private school there in the New Orleans area. You know, if you watch the Huddle film, not exactly the 85 Bears that that Manning was, you know, competing against on most Friday nights. And so, therefore, you know, maybe he does need more time, more seasoning to truly be ready. 
But I'd also consider this, and you've heard me say this before if you're a regular listener or viewer. I didn't love what I saw from Quinn Ewers in the game against Washington College Football Playoff. It was a competitive game. Washington uh, obviously wins. Texas had its chances. But I didn't think Ewers looked special there. After the Alabama game, the big win for Texas here this year, I thought Ewers did sort of look special. But not against Washington. I didn't think he was special at all. Well, Texas doesn't have the Big 12 to kick around anymore. Texas is going to be in the SEC for this upcoming season. And if you want to have the kind of playoff level year that you're hoping for, you probably need special at quarterback. Now, Texas has you know, done things to improve its lines of scrimmage, bringing in Isaiah Bond at wide receiver. That's clearly a good thing there, too. But that only kind of gets you back to where you were at the receiver position. You need to be special at quarterback when you're playing more stellar competition on a week-to-week basis. I would at least put a pin in this conversation. But the idea that, that, that yours may be the guy right now, but by the time we get to the the biggest portion of the season or or the later portion of the season, maybe not October when Georgia goes there, I wonder if Arch Manning is a little bit more of a relevant topic for Texas in 2024 than perhaps some are thinking right now. And could he perhaps overtake Quinn Ewers before the season is done, no matter what people are saying right now? Looks like the Bill O'Brien thing is picking up momentum. And as I said before, there seems like there's a lot of stories these days that I just don't really understand. I didn't really understand the fascination that Ohio State seemed to have with bringing Bill O'Brien in in the first place. And they kind of took some slings and arrows for that because O'Brien wasn't, you know, well loved by Patriots fans recently and certainly not loved at all by Alabama fans, perhaps with a good reason. And then Ryan Day, who the one thing you can say about him is a pretty good play caller, brings in somebody else to be his offensive coordinator. The whole thing seemed really strange. And now it may not happen at all as O'Brien could be on his way to become Boston College head coach, which seems sort of like a fairly meager job right now, just given BC's pecking order within the ACC. But this may actually be happening. This sort of feels like it you know, could be a, a real thing that's on its way. And then one last thing to give you here. So yesterday there's a big to-do about the fact that the SEC announced its per team revenue distribution. It's an enormous sum of money. It's like it's like a 50 some whatever million dollars they're giving to each of the league member schools. I don't care anything about this. I mean, I'm not anti-money. I'm certainly a free market capitalist. I'm, you know, happy to see uh, you know, the league getting revenue. I think college ball deserves money because I think college ball is a lot of fun and so therefore I'm certainly not anti-money when it comes to college football overall. You know, I will say that the things the SEC could potentially do to get even more money, partnering with the Big Ten to make sure SMU doesn't get a you know playoff share or you know things like that, I don't necessarily love. Or the fact that we may be stuck moving forward with an eight-team SEC schedule when we almost certainly should have a nine-team SEC schedule because money-wise they can't quite get ESPN to pony up extra dollars. It's like I'm not against the SEC, whatever money it gets, and I don't have a problem if they double that money in the future. But some of the things the SEC does to make sure they're maximizing their financial potential, I sort of find that to be a little irritating from time to time. But nonetheless, that is the story there. And that is cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as we wrap up here today, as you might imagine on a Friday, great collection of golden shoes. And a lot of these, as you would probably guess, themed around Georgia fans and their dissatisfaction uh, of Kirk Herbstreet. Uh, and drawing the ire of ESPN PR, respected journalists everywhere, uh, the fact that uh, Georgia fans are bothered by this. But nonetheless, Georgia fans are going to feel the way they do. Our buddy Mad Dog. Feels like we haven't heard from Mad Dog in this space in a little while. But Kirk Herbstreit recently wrote a book, and Mad Dog on video there sort of showing you what he feels about that. The only way dog fans enjoy Kirk Herbstreit's book 
And you see the uh, bulldog there, Ugga, kind of relieving himself on the Herb Street memoir. So uh, Mad Dog making his feelings very clear. And uh, keeping the uh, golden shoes rolling, we'll show you our next one there as well. So how about Kirk Herbstreet's power to bring Georgia and Florida State fans together? Steven Vasquez, who has a FSU logo as his avatar, sends me this picture of Kirk Herbstreet wearing the clown nose that's been kind of made famous as a meme out there. And Steven saying, join the club, Georgia fans. Basically saying to all you Georgia fans who've decided you don't like Kirk Herbstreet, Florida State fans have felt that way for a while. So maybe a little bit of an uneasy alliance forming between the two foes from the Orange Bowl. At least Stephen Vasquez seems to think so. Stephen, I don't know if you're a regular listener to our program or not, being a Knowles fan, but we'll give you a golden shoe there for that. So hopefully you hear tell about it. And uh, by the way, speaking of golden shoes, uh, Robert Morris also sends this, wondering if Kirk Herbstreet ghost wrote, remember the Dylan Riola poem, the one about not being a cog in some machine or whatever else? I mean, that's essentially what Kirk Herbstreet told him. Don't go be a cog in a machine. You know, go to a, go to Nebraska, at least allegedly anyway. Robert Morris wondering if Kirk Herbstreet may have written the Dylan Riola poem, which I think is really funny and worthy of a golden shoe there as well. And finally, our buddy Sugar Ray, my favorite thing about him is when he wins a golden shoe, he then takes a bow on social media afterwards, essentially spiking the football. So you see two funny things from him running with his golden shoes on with me kind of uh, laughing along the way. Not a bad listening face for me. They are very, very uh, happy listening face. And then he's made his own sort of you call this a bouquet? Is that what you call it? Like sort of a bouquet of golden shoes? Very funny stuff from Sugar Ray. Well done indeed uh, to wrap things up here. Lousy, stinking gators. They've got no gold in their trophy case. It's been a long time anyway. You're going to go back a very, very long time since Florida's had any success. In fact, it's been 1,187 days since they've beaten Georgia. That is bad news if you're a lousy, stinking gator, and that's why we love rubbing it in their faces. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the big game on Sunday. We'll see you back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Croker. We will look forward to talking to you then.